You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode 23. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of the Passionate DJ Podcast, a talk radio style show which is all about discussing the issues that are important to DJs and together we're becoming better DJs through passion and purpose. I am your host David Michael and I'm glad that you're here with us today where we're going to be talking about the difference between DJ and producer and other similar terms. Uh, But before we get into that, I do have a comment from Modingo, who is somebody who uh, I mentioned uh, an episode or two ago, left another comment or a question, uh, but uh, one thing I forgot to mention was that uh, Mo was somebody who moved back to my own hometown and uh, actually came up to me at a show that I was at, and we had a little bit of a chat and uh, talked about the scene and the podcast and everything, so it was pretty cool to meet you, and I just wanted to read your comment on here. This is... uh, Uh, If you remember a few episodes back, we were talking about the movie Groove, and we played a little sound clip from that movie where the the promoter of the the rave in the movie was discussing what they called the nod. In other words, the the nod of approval from somebody who's basically just thanking the promoter for what is often a thankless job for putting on such a great show and doing it for the love and... Mo says, I wanted to comment on your clip from the movie Groove. I'm in the military and recently returned from a deployment. I was fortunate enough to be in a safe location where I could bring my laptop and my S2. During my time there, I had the chance to play several shows at the club there and work on my craft. One of the most rewarding parts of playing there was getting, quote, the nod from the young men and women out there burning up the dance floor. For a few hours, I was able to make them forget that they were away from their loved ones, working long hours under extreme conditions. Getting the nod from those folks and being recognized around the base for being that DJ was a great feeling. Thanks for what you do in putting all this together, boss. You will probably never truly understand what a great service it is that you're providing. Much love, Mo. Thank you so much for the kind words, Mo. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's very cool to hear that you were able to be sort of a shining light in an otherwise stressful and uh, not ideal situation, that you were able to bring the gift of music to your friends and comrades, and that was very cool. Thank you for sharing your story. I do have a couple of news items that you might be interested in hearing. Pioneer DJ has announced its new multiplayer called the XDJ700. It's kind of meant to be the next-gen successor of the CDJ350, sort of the entry-level player from Pioneer's CDJ lineup. It inherits many features from the recently released XDJ1000, which was the first CD-less CDJ. The new player will debut in December for $699 US, and it will include a 7-inch full-color touchscreen with a QWERTY keyboard, record box compatibility, Pro DJ Link, which is the uh, ability to connect to any other player or laptop and then share tracks across them. So in other words, you don't need multiple USB sticks or what have you to put in each player, but you can put one in and access it across all the players. 
and then HID control via USB of Recordbox DJ. And speaking of Recordbox DJ, Pioneer has also released it to the public, and this basically transforms the company's Recordbox 4.0 software into a full-on DJ app, so like Tractor, Serato, Virtual DJ, and so on. Uh, it's available now for $129 US or $9.90 a month and comes with a free 30-day trial. So if you're interested in using the record box system, but you would also like to use that as your library or your player um, and use it like a full DJ app such as Tractor, you are now able to do that. Uh, I'm not sure why anybody would want to pay the monthly subscription fee instead of the one-time fee. Uh, doesn't seem like that would be a terribly good choice, but you know, especially since you get a 30-day free, free trial. So if you like the Pioneer workflow, but you like the idea of just showing up with your laptop and having that be your sort of uh, music source, you can now do that with Recordbox DJ. A couple bits of Serato-related news. Streaming music is coming to Serato. Thanks to their new partnership with the DJ-focused music subscription ser service PulseLocker, Serato users will soon be able to DJ using music streamed directly from the internet. Now, this will be effective as of version 1.9. As I make this recording, 1.8 is out now, so this is coming in the next update. And tracks will be provided at 320 kilobit MP3 quality. Now, that is unless the label only provides... Uh, it do, unless the label doesn't provide a 320, if they only provide a 256, then they'll use that. But most importantly, the service will allow DJs to easily keep offline libraries of their music from PulseLocker. So this kind of quells the worries of naysayers who worry about, you know, the validity of streaming services as a, at a gig. Some um, existing software already has Spotify integration, for example, but there wasn't uh, until now a really good way to maintain a local DJ library. And PulseLocker and Serato are going to bring that functionality to you. Uh, when an internet connection is available, DJs will be able to search both their local collection and the PulseLocker library from a single search bar, which is pretty cool. Um, and the software will stream and then cache any music that you selected that wasn't already downloaded. Now, one cool thing about this is that uh, there has been some discussion when it comes to streaming services for DJs as far as what is the legal status of this because not everything you know when we're talking about music that we buy on Beatport or Track It Down or something like that all that music is generally released to those outlets with the direct intent of having DJs play and mix it and remix it and, and that sort of thing and when you're using something like Spotify that's not necessarily the case and bigger, uh, you know, the big labels out there, big American labels especially, um, aren't necessarily, uh, that was not the business model they had in mind, and so some of them want royalties and that sort of thing. But being that PulseLocker is entirely a DJ-focused service, there is complete legal transparency, the music is all guaranteed to be fully legal for DJing with in public. So this sort of gray area that exists with other services should not exist with PulseLocker and its integration with Serato. So pretty nice move from Rain on that one. 
And in the 1.8 update, which is out now, Serato DJ has added two killer features. One is key detection, and the other is hardware remapping. Now, these are two highly requested features from Serato users. So the software now features the company's own proprietary key detection analysis. And since Serato DJ's offline player is free, that means that uh, everyone has access to free key detection. So that's pretty cool. It will write the key, uh, once it analyzes, it'll write the key directly to your song's ID3 tags your, in your MP3 files. Now, if you want to fork out an additional $29, you can install a plugin, which is called Pitch in Time. And that gains you the ability to do sort of key-related um, manipulations or processes. So in other words, you can do key shifting, key matching, key sync, that sort of thing. So pretty interesting functionality being added there. And then, of course, the hardware remapping allows you to do uh, sort of what you can do with Tractor already. So if you have a Serato controller, a licensed if you're a licensed owner of a Serato controller, you can remap their hardware so that you can perhaps give hardware control over features that are previously only available in software. So if you have a licensed Serato device of some kind, whether it's a controller or mixer or whatever, then uh, you are now able to remap some of those functions. Or I don't know how customizable it is. I haven't gotten that far into it, but uh, this was a long requested feature as well. So Rain is giving people what they want with their latest update or two, a Serato DJ. So if you are a Serato user, definitely go check that out. Now, normally at the beginning of the podcast, uh, at least the past several episodes, I've been starting off with a question or two from uh, listeners. And I do have one from a listener, but I wanted to end the podcast with the question this time. So we're going to go straight to the main topic, which is... DJ, producer, remixer, what's the difference? Now, what brings this up in the first place? Well, primarily, I get a lot of emails and comments and stuff from people who are listening to the podcast or reading my articles, and a lot of those uh, people are finding Passionate DJ through articles which are geared towards beginners, um, specifically uh, my ultimate guides, um, how to become a DJ and, and articles like that. So as such, we get a lot of new members and new VIP listers who are just starting out on their journey as a DJ. And many of them actually are uh, seem to be a bit confused on what the DJ actually does. And this is common. This is, this is not something that's new. This has been happening for many years. And a lot of people are not really sure the difference between the DJ, the producer, the mashup artist, and there are a lot of reasons that these, uh, these terms get kind of washed together because the role of the DJ has changed over the years and electronic musicians have tried to find different ways to perform their music in front of an audience. And so these lines are blurred all the time. There's a lot of gray area. So passionate DJ as a brand specifically primarily focuses on the DJ and not necessarily the producer or what have you. But that being said, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of DJs are producers and a lot of producers are remix artists and so on and so forth. 
So I just wanted to maybe take some time to kind of talk about, you know, what's the difference between these and what are those lines that get blurred? What What is a DJ and how does that differ from uh, from a producer and some of these other terms? So Wikipedia had a pretty good definition of the DJ. It says, a disc jockey, abbreviated DJ, is a person who plays recorded music for an audience, either a radio audience, if the mix is broadcast, or the audience in a venue, such as a bar or nightclub. In venues such as a club event or rave, this is an audience of dancers. Originally, disc referred to phonograph records, not the later compact discs. Today, the term includes all forms of music playback, no matter which medium is used. So they give examples of vinyl, CDs, MP3 player, and so on. So a lot of people get hung up on the term DJ because it historically has stood for disc jockey. And the further on we go in time, the less the disc part of that term makes sense. You know, many of us are playing on MP3s or WAV or FLAC files, some digital format. Some people still play on CDs, some people play on records exclusively. But overall, the terminology is is a bit out of date. It's more of a historic or a legacy term that we probably shouldn't get too hung up on. There's no point in really arguing, well, they don't use discs anymore, so they're not a DJ. They're actually uh, an LJ for a laptop jockey. or a, I've heard a lot of different terms, and none of them have really stuck. If I have a, one suggestion, I would make it to... Um, to just get over it and realize that this is a legacy term and this is how languages work and how terms evolve. And uh, the term disc jockey is just an homage to where DJing came from, even if it's not necessarily a rotating platter somewhere. We can still call it a DJ if it's somebody who's playing pre-recorded music to an audience. So that's, in essence, what the term DJ refers to. It's a person that presents pre-recorded music to an audience. Now, this audience could be a number of things. It could be uh, dancers at a nightclub. It could be business people mingling at a company social in an upscale bar. It could be the family and friends of the bride and groom at a wedding, and not to mention the bride and groom themselves. It could be a handful of fans who downloaded your latest mix because they enjoy your work. It could be people listening in their car to FM radio or satellite radio. It could be an online audience who follows your weekly stream, and that could be on a small scale or a large scale, like Boiler Room, that sort of thing. It could be a sea of thousands of people at a major music festival, or it could be, you know, you and your 10 local DJ buddies playing tunes for each other at a house party. These are all different types of audience that uh, the DJ might play to. Now, this is where people tend to get hung up, because the DJ is playing music which has already been recorded at some other previous time. But he or she is also making a unique set out of that music, whether that means they're doing long blends of one song into another to create a sort of a journey, as they say, or grabbing loops, finger drumming, jumping, you know, cue points and that sort of thing. There are a number of different ways that the, the DJ has creative control over this music that already exists as a recording. Now this is in contrast to uh, what we call the music producer. So in the modern electronic musician 
kind of context. A music producer is a person who creates original music. And they do this by overseeing their composition, arrangement, engineering, mixing, and recording. Now, there's a bit of disparity here just in the term producer or music producer itself. Because in a historical context, the term music producer uh, or record producer... They had a very broad role. They would kind of oversee and manage the production of a performer's music. So they weren't necessarily the ones creating or performing the music, but they might gather ideas for the project, select session musicians, they might suggest changes to a song's arrangement, they might coach the other musicians in the studio, and that sort of thing. And then sometimes it even included uh, more of a broad entrepreneurial role such as uh, handling the budget, scheduling, contracts, negotiations, and that sort of thing. So this is a little different than what a lot of us uh, think of as maybe the bedroom producer or the person who is creating music. So they are the artist and they are the recording engineer all in one. This is typically what we will refer to on Passionate DJ anyway as producer or music producer. But it's important to point out because depending on who you're talking to, one kind of music producer like the Neptunes is different than another kind of music producer, uh, which might be, I don't know, Armin Van Buren or somebody like that. Somebody who's creating and composing an entire song from scratch might be different than somebody who is kind of in charge of the project and making sure that the recording comes out in its best pop, uh, possible form. So the DJ is playing pre-recorded music, which has been created already by producers, if that makes sense. So then we've got remix artists. So the remix artist um, is probably um, an unnecessary, uh, redundant term, but this is uh, simply a producer who creates their own version of someone else's production. This can be done... By any variety of means, they could uh, sample the original song. They could use sampling, uh, whether that's with permission or more of a bootleg scenario. Or they can do it by acquiring the stems, which are the individual tracks from the original artist. Now, the stems is also a file format now, which uh, was invented by Native Instruments. But it's the same, the same idea. They're just individual pieces of the song, which can be mixed together by the DJ, which is one of the lines that we're talking about that gets blurred here. So now the DJ is kind of working a little bit of a production kind of concept into his mixes as well. Or they might take, uh, they might just edit or simply reinterpret the song from the original artist. Now similarly, uh, mashup artists they kind of occupy a role somewhere between the DJ and the remixer. They'll take large parts of existing recordings and overlay them together to create a sort of remixed version. So one example of this might be overlaying a popular acapella, which is just the vocal track, over a recognizable hip-hop beat. Now this can be done in both a live DJ context or in a studio production context. So the DJ could be a mashup artist, the producer could be a mashup artist. In the case of a producer, you're creating a mashup, which will be a finalized recording that can be played on its own, whereas the DJ might be doing it live, um, playing a, uh, for instance, 
an instrumental on deck A and then in deck B overlaying an acapella on top of that. Now you can already see what, how these lines are getting blurred because the roles are are similar. You know, there's a some DJs want to add live elements to their um, to their sets, and some producers want to add DJ type elements to their sets. A lot of DJ software and production software is blurring the lines as well. So all these terms that we're discussing today, they all kind of refer to people who are playing or creating music in some kind of automated way. And the reason I say that is because otherwise we would just call them bands or musicians or singer-songwriters. Uh, there's some kind of automation involved here. So in the context of the DJ, the DJ is playing music which has already been performed or recorded and then selecting, mixing, or otherwise performing that music to a separate audience. Now, sometimes you might have heard the term live PA. This is basically an electronic musician. That might be another way you could put it. And they may be using loops, uh, MIDI clock, sequencers, groove boxes, what, what have you, to create or perform a song on the fly using these automated parts. Now, the producer has a similar goal to the live PA artist, but they're automating the overall entire process to produce a final recording in the studio. So this is, like I said, this is why things can get confusing. The definitions are very fuzzy, and the lines are intentionally blurred all the time. Some DJs like to add live elements to their set, and you can think of remix sets, stems, Serato Flip, or heck, just about anything you can do in Ableton. You know, these are all things which kind of blur the line between DJ and producer or live artist. Some live artists use DJ software to perform their songs. Some producers who got popular for their productions have been sort of forced into DJing as a way to perform live. And then some bands perform to sequenced music. So there's all these kind of gray areas that just make it uh, a little confusing, especially for a newcomer. Um, I especially want to make note of uh, what I said there. Some producers got popular for their productions. I think it was Avicii who uh, mentioned that he was in this position where, you know, he was an at-home producer, created a couple tracks, became hugely popular for his productions, and then needed a way to perform those songs live. He had an audience. He had people wanting him to perform. He was getting booked at huge festivals. He wasn't a DJ in the historic context, but he needed a way to perform his music, and so he kind of fell into that role and a lot of people fall into this role, and I don't want to say anything about Avicii specifically. I've never seen him or really listened to any of his sets all the way through, but a lot of DJs or producers fall into this sort of in-between area of they have an audience waiting for them to perform music, and they've been creating music in a studio context. There's no way to really easily perform something that they've spent you know, 50, 80, 20, however many hours in the studio creating and creating that perfect mix down and having mastered and creating that perfect arrangement. You know, it wasn't created with a live context in mind, and so a lot of electronic musicians will turn to DJing as a way to perform that music. The unfortunate side of that is that a lot of modern DJs who are introduced to DJ culture and such through their productions don't really understand 
the actual role of the DJ. And in some ways, that's fair enough because a lot of their uh, fans are the same way. They aren't necessarily interested in what the DJ can do and being surprised or enlightened by a unique musical selection, but rather they want to go see their artists perform. And so it doesn't necessarily do harm to uh, those of us who are interested in uh, sort of the psychology that uh, goes into DJing and playing, reading a crowd and that sort of thing, creating a perfect arrangement and taking people on a journey. Uh, it's more akin to going and seeing a band perform or or a, some other live artist. And then, of course, uh, you know, one popular example is Dead Mouse, who uh, had a whole big thing about this, talking about how he's not a DJ. And so many people will write in, you know, newer DJs write into me and say, I want to be, um, you know, a, a DJ like Dead Mouse. And Dead Mouse will be the first person to tell you that he's not a DJ. So. It, it all depends on what your intent is and whose music you're playing and how much of it is pre-recorded. kind of determines what they're doing. So I would consider in that context, I guess D- Dead Mouse is doing more of a live PA sort of thing. I know he does a lot of triggering of stems and loops. Uh, I don't know if he's using Ableton still or what he's using these days, but working sort of live remixed versions of his own productions so it sits in the middle just like a lot of this stuff does Uh, some examples of production software just to give you an idea Uh, these are also called DAWs or digital audio workstation software that would be stuff like FL Studio Pro Tools uh, GarageBand Logic Renoise Reason Cakewalk Sonar uh, Cubase Pro, Reaper, Studio One. These are all examples of software that are intended for production. In other words, for creating music in the studio and not performing in a live context. And that's uh, as opposed to, to examples of DJ software, which would be things like Serato DJ, Virtual DJ, uh, Tractor, uh, Algorithm DJ Pro, Mix Vibes Cross. Uh, mix with three X's um, and decadence or decadence, depending on how you want to say it. It's kind of a play on words there, I think, which I actually just learned. They were recently acquired by another company. That was actually FL Studios' answer to DJ software, and somebody else bought that out. But anyway, and then there are examples of software that, by their very design, kind of blur the line between what is. Uh, what is a live artist sort of software and what is production. So uh, you might think of Ableton Live as a great example. In fact, Ableton has two different modes. One is more for performing live, which is the live part of the name there. Um, And the other is for arranging and composing. So uh, by its very nature, Ableton sits right in the middle. Uh, Machine or Machina is another good example of this, which is actually hardware and software. But a lot of people use it to produce music, and a lot of people use it to perform music live. So really, it can get all, you know, pretty confusing. But uh, the important thing to know here is that when we speak of being a DJ, 
we're referring to being a person who selects and mixes existing songs in a unique way to an audience. This is the person that Passionate DJ focuses on, even though many DJs are also producers and many DJs include live elements in their sets. So I hope this uh, helped clear things up for you guys a little bit, especially some of you newer DJs who are finding me through my ultimate guides and other uh, helpful articles for newer DJs. And of course, if you have any further questions on this, feel free to go to the show notes at passionatedj.com forward slash 023, because this is episode 23, and you can leave a comment right there, ask any questions, or maybe ask for some clarification, and I will do my best to clear that right up for you. Another option is that you can leave me a voicemail. I'm really trying to get you guys to leave me more voicemails, because I like hearing your voices, and uh, being that this is an audio podcast format, um, you know, I can do some reading, read some comments and questions in here, but it uh, really works out great when you guys leave voicemails. So uh, if you want to do that, you can go to passionatedj.com slash ask, A-S-K, and uh, leave me a voicemail. You can use your microphone or your iPhone or Android or webcam or built-in microphone on your laptop, anything that gets sound into your computer, you can leave me a voicemail with, and I would be glad to answer any questions related to uh, the differences between DJing, producing, remixing, mashups, and so on and so forth, as well as any other DJ-related questions that you might have. And if I don't know the answer to those questions, I will do my best to track them down for you as I have been DJing for a while, and I do know a thing or two, but I do not know everything, and I would never claim to. So, But I am uh, that person who will do my best to track down any answers and help you guys out, because uh, a lot of people have helped me out on my journey to becoming a DJ, and I want to pay it forward. So that's that. So... Now, I did mention earlier in the broadcast tonight that I had a letter from a reader, and I wanted to go ahead and address that now. It says, I enjoyed your website. It was very thoughtful and insightful. I need some honest feedback. I'm a recent retiree. I am 68 years old. OMG. I have spent my career in clinical lab science and academia, but have always been interested and followed the dance music scene. I am a gay man and still go to the clubs with my partner of 31 years. Some of our best times have been at Tea Dance at the Boat Slip in P-Town. We are on the Resident DJ's Facebook page and have a complete collection of her sets. I always said that my fantasy job would be to be a DJ, but paying the bills factored into my career choices. Now that I am retired, I have nothing to hold me back. Back in the 70s and 80s, I used to shop at a record store that catered to club DJs and have several cases of pristine records from that era. Back then, I used to make decent mixes using one turntable and a cassette recorder. I know I am long in the tooth and probably outside of the mainstream, but what I need to know is, is there any possibility that I could even get a gig somewhere? I would have to start from the ground up and do not have any equipment or know where the current sources of music, like downloads and music services, etc., are coming from. What I want to know is, is there a chance for someone like me to get to play? I would be more interested in gay venues than anywhere, and I definitely do not want to do weddings. I do not expect to be a superstar, 
just play club music and earn a few bucks in the process. And that message comes from Roger Fortin. Roger, great message. And um, I really wanted to, to say, uh, first off, right off the bat, you mentioned right off the bat that you're 68 years old, OMG, okay? And that you've been going to the clubs with your partner of 31 years. And so it seems that maybe your holdback is that you feel like you're too old to start pursuing this. And I don't know if you feel that because you think that people won't accept you as a DJ or or what that is. But, well, before we move on, let's just... Here, here's a list of currently active over 50 DJs, just for fun. And this came from an article I wrote uh, called... Uh, I don't remember as uh, 20 DJs over 50 who still top the bill or something like that. I'll link to it in the show notes. But just for fun, here's a list of uh, over 50 DJs. Africa Bambata, Ben Watt, Carl Cox, David Morales, Derek May, DJ Hell, DJ Cool Herc, Giorgio Moroder, Grandmaster Flash, Greg Wilson, Jeff Mills, Joey Negro, Juan Atkins, Junior Vasquez, Kevin Saunderson, Larry Hurd, Marley Marl, Norman Cook, who you might know better as Fatboy Slim, Paul Oakenfold, and Pete Tong. And that was from 20 DJs over 50 who still topped the bill. So, and you'll notice that a lot of those, um, a lot of those names are people who are also recognized for their productions or other types of live performance as well. But these are all currently active performing DJs. In other words, they do perform in the DJ context of uh, playing pre-recorded music to an audience. Now, it's fair to say that that most of these names have been DJing for a number of years. They didn't necessarily start when they were over 50, uh, with a few exceptions, such as Marauder, for example. But uh, that just goes to show that you know, it doesn't really matter how how old you are. You can definitely perform this music and play this music in front of people. So one thing that uh, that strikes me is that if you're concerned about your age, I think there are a lot of people out there who feel like I do who actually would think it's really awesome that at 68 year, years old, you decided to go ahead and pick up your headphones and make this something that you wanted to do. And I truly believe that if this is something that you are actually really interested in doing, something that you're passionate about, and you seem like you're interested in the music and the culture and everything, and you've been a participant in it a long time, I think that that passion will really get you places, and I don't think that you should let that hold you back. So I do have a couple of tips. The first thing is that I would suggest that you don't think of your age as a hindrance. Think of it as your unique selling proposition. So in the business world, you kind of have this concept of the USP, the unique selling proposition. What do you have experience in? Dance music, gay clubs, uh, music from a certain era? What do you know? What are you good at? Answer this and it'll help you find your niche or your niche. Did you start clubbing in the disco era, for example? Um, Diva House with disco samples, that type of music often does really well in gay clubs. So... You know, be true to yourself and play to your strengths. I think that's really the key here. Think about what your history is with this music and make it part of your narrative. So when you're going through the process of trying to build your audience, 
That's going to involve, you know, setting up a Facebook page or Instagram or whatever your channels are that you want to try to promote your music, yourself and your music. Um, and just as well as when you're talking to other people, whether it's people you're trying to get to a gig, friends and family, um, your promoters or club owners or what have you, make this part of your narrative. Say, hey, you know, I've been doing this for uh, however many years. This is the music that has inspired me for my whole life. Uh, these are the the songs that got me through hard times and, and so on and so forth. Make that all part of your narrative, and now you're being a storyteller, which is really what the what the DJ should be good at, is storytelling. Now, it's typically in a musical context, but I think that it's important to uh, just really embrace your unique traits and make them part of who you are. Um, don't be fake. So... Let your personality shine through, whether that's behind the decks or behind the keyboard on social media. People today dig authenticity. So if you are staying true to yourself and really just, you know, trying not to be something that you're not, don't act like that you've been DJing since you were, you know, 20 years old or whatever. Uh, be upfront with people. Say, hey, I turned 68 and I wanted to uh, express myself through music people that dig that authenticity and you'll build longer lasting fans uh, than if you try to turn yourself into a gimmick. If you've been going out to these clubs for a long time, then you've probably already built up a decent network. So this is where you can begin your outreach. Uh, who do you know that's in your corner? Would anyone you know give you a shot? Think about people you know who are DJs, promoters, club managers, um, bar staff, owners of local businesses, other musicians, and that sort of thing. Uh, do you have any of these people that are in your corner that would give you a shot or would uh, take you under their wing or it, in any other way help you uh, towards your goal of becoming a DJ? As a beginner DJ, if you decide to uh, go down this path, I do have uh, my best two resources for beginning DJs, which I briefly mentioned earlier, uh, my ultimate guides. One is How to Become a DJ, The Ultimate Guide, which you can get to by passionatedj.com slash howtodj. And that goes, uh, it's a very kind of high-level view of how to become a DJ, starting with determining what the DJ does all the way through the end of uh, really becoming a true DJ of passion and purpose. So that's passionatedj.com slash howtodj. And then the other is Best DJ Controllers, The Ultimate Guide. And you can get to that from passionatedj.com slash controllers. And the reason I mention that is because you mention in your article that you aren't sure uh, what kind of equipment you need and that sort of thing. So if you don't have any equipment, this is a great way to get started. You can go to that Ultimate Guide, which I do go through periodically and update. And it will tell you kind of what the the top level controllers are in a number of different categories when i say categories i mean price points so I've, i break down the top five uh, in my opinion of the premium level the mid-level and then the the budget or entry level price points and then we kind of talk a little bit about modular setups and that sort of thing so if you have absolutely no clue where to start buying hardware that is a good place to start because the primary focus there is all-in-one DJ controllers, which all include pretty much everything you need to get started these days, including software and a built-in sound interface. So 
if you already have a laptop and you buy a controller and a pair of headphones, you're pretty much good to go. Then you can start getting music and putting together mixes and learning the craft and hopefully scoring your first gigs. So, uh, And then, of course, if you prefer audio, you can also just listen to episodes 20 and 21 of this podcast because they are sort of audio versions of those two ultimate guides. So I hope this helps you out, Roger. Um, I really, really wish you the best, and I hope that you will definitely pursue this if it's something that you want to spend your time doing. Hey, you're retired now. What better time than to pursue, pursue something that you're interested in? And um, I wish you all the best. I hope that you will send me an update and let me know where you are on this journey. And I'm sure that uh, my listeners would be interested in hearing how this goes as well. So if you don't mind, send me an occasional update and let me know how it's going. And if you're having any additional struggles in the future... Feel free to write back in, and uh, maybe I'll open it up to the audience. Uh, maybe some other older DJs can chime in, because I know my audience ranges from all over the map and all over the age spectrum. So, And if I could give you one piece of parting advice, Roger, uh, the easiest way that you could fail at becoming a good DJ is by giving yourself permission to fail because of your age. So please don't do that. If it's what you want to do, do it. Those are my words of encouragement for you today. And I hope that you guys all enjoyed this episode. We will see you next time for episode 24. Once again, guys, thank you so much. And keep on spinning. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ With Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.